Hey, Pastor Kevin Wallace here. Listen, we're excited about what God is going to do in this time together. I want you to pay attention to this message that the Lord has laid on my heart. I believe it's going to bring life and strength to you today. I want you to hang on till the end. I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna pray with you. God bless you. Receive this word today. Praise the Lord. You can praise him or you can say, oh me, because I'm coming up here today, but stand with me. You're stuck with me today. Pastor Kevin is at the Athens campus celebrating their one-year anniversary, and uh, it was very important that he be here, there. I kind of probably should have went myself. I'm actually from Athens, um, but um, I get to be with you, and I'm so excited. I want to say this. I want to make a disclaimer just in case we have a glory bomb and you don't hear from me uh, from my sermon until you leave. Um, today is the Super Bowl. And we all know that. And there is no condemnation for those who want to watch the Super Bowl. I want you to hear it from my own mouth. My own son has asked me to have a private prayer meeting with him so he could watch the Super Bowl tonight. But for those of you who are willing, I will be here to pray. And you'll understand more about that by the end of the service. I will tell you it is very strategic for Project Flashlight to be launching on this day. There's lots of conflicting statistics, but I will tell you the Super Bowl is one of the highest trafficked events um, in the United States annually. And so as you watch the Super Bowl, you can whisper a prayer for what happens behind the scenes. And it's a great day to bring awareness to something that a lot of us are not aware of. I do want to make a little disclaimer. It is a short film, a documentary by Exodus Cry that'll be shown today. And if I had small children, I would probably not let them watch it. Um, it is a true documentary of things I have seen with my own eyes, but it absolutely exposes what human trafficking is, um, especially in uh, the, the sex trade. So if you can imagine what uh, images are shown and what, uh, languages, uh, what language is used to describe human trafficking, if it is not something you want your teenager to hear, you might want to not bring them to the film showing. There will be other events that might not be so explicit. Um, but it is a Christian-based film, so there is a filter to it. Uh, but I did want to release that disclaimer to my mothers. So now I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 19, verses 20 through 24. And there's just such a freedom in the house today. Maybe God just did that for me. Do you just feel his presence? Um, and I just want to be free to deliver what the Lord has given me today. Um, I don't know if it's a sermon or a prophetic declaration, but we are definitely in a divine collision with the Kairos moment of the Lord. You didn't know you came into the house on such a day, but you did. And I'm going to speak on the glory zone. The glory zone. Look at your neighbor and say the glory zone. 1 Samuel 19, beginning with verse 20. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the group of prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And when Saul was told, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. Then Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they prophesied also. Then he also went to Ramah and came to the great well that is at Sekir. 
So he asked and said, where are Samuel and David? And someone said, indeed, they are at Naoth in Ramah. So he went there to Naoth in Ramah, and the spirit of the Lord God was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth in Ramah. And he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore, they say, is Saul among the prophets also? Wow, it's really in the word. And today, we're going to talk about building a glory zone here. Would you pray for me? And I'm going to pray for you that the Lord will help me deliver his word quick, sharp, sharper than any two-edged sword, and that we will bear fruit from what we hear today. Father, I love you. I thank you for this February morning, 2021. And I thank you for what you're doing in this house Today, Father, I ask that our ears would be open to hear, not just our natural ears, but our spiritual ears, and that our hearts would be good soil to receive what you would say to us today. Father, I pray that you would anoint my mouth to say only what you would have me say, and to say it clearly and boldly, Father, today over this house, over this region, over this nation. Father, we thank you that you are faithful to your word. And today we are in the middle of a season of fulfillment and we receive it, Lord. And we do ask that you would make this property, this place, this community a glory zone, that your name may be glorified, Father. And we give you praise in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. It's a very interesting story. So much could be said over it, but it's actually a sermon that Kevin preached probably when we were dating, um, 19, 20-year-old Kevin, uh, when he was preaching and evangelizing. And then several years later, um, we were pastoring here at Udawal campus, and the Lord opened a campus for us first on 4th Avenue, and then we were able to expand to a campus in East Lake. Do I have anybody here that was at that East Lake campus with me? You're still here. That is amazing. That is amazing. There was this crazy season in uh, Kevin and I's life pastoring this church where we preached at the same time every Sunday. It was about a, ninth, a nine month season, go figure. And um, we had to because we were bringing in a new campus and we, we wanted to do that gradually and we wanted to do that at the same time. And so every Sunday we would go different directions. He would go to Udawa, I would go downtown and he would give me whatever his assignment was to preach at Udawa, and I would do my best to preach like him and preach what he would want preached um, at East Lake. And it lasted until Till the Sunday, um, I got up to go preach and my children said, hey, mom, are we going to your church or dad's church? <laughs> I said, oh, no, 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 this is the same church. We are just in a season. It was a season. And there was one Sunday morning, and today, you'll have to forgive me, I may storytell more than I preach, but my role in this house is to guard the prophetic words of the Lord. And there was a moment, even Jesus, before he entered into the fullness of his ministry, he walked into the temple and he read a scroll. Remember, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he said, hey, today I'm reading this because it's fulfilled in your ears. And today, this is one of those Sundays where we're going to look back because I don't want you to miss what God is doing. And we are in a season of fulfillment. So on that Sunday, Kevin said, I'm preaching on the glory zone. 
And I had prepared, and I was in my little room stressing over preaching, and it just so happened that Sunday several of our college-age students had come down to Eastlake, as they did many times just to, to support me and make me feel better, and they had come there to support, and I went out to preach, and worship was beautiful, and the glory was there, but has anyone in this room ever had an encounter that is like this circle around you, and nobody else seems to be feeling what you're feeling? Yeah, those are embarrassing moments, right? It's better when we're all rolling in the floor or we're all crying or we're all running. But every once in a while, I will have these moments and you've had those moments where it seems like God has just painted a target on you and even the people beside you don't know what's going on. And I had one of those moments sitting on the stage preparing to preach. The glory of the Lord came upon me. I fell on my face. I could not function. I was asking the Lord, what are you doing? I, my brain is talking to me while my spirit is experiencing the Lord. Maybe you don't have these experiences, but my brain was saying, what is happening? You look crazy. What is God doing? And, and as I was asking the Lord, a, an intercessor in our church just came up beside me, knelt on the ground, whispered in my ear as if God was answering my question and said, the Lord said, you are birthing something in the spirit today. Just yield. So I began to yield and I said, Lord, what is happening on this Sunday? And the Lord began to download a vision and a word at the same time. I saw something that I heard. And the Lord said, I am positioning you, redemption to the nations. I'm going to give you a place in downtown Chattanooga and you will open a school of prophets and I will make it a glory zone and you will train sons and daughters to carry my glory to this nation. And I got up and recognized that even though the focus of the text I was preaching was not about the word God had given me, it was about creating a glory zone. If you look at the context of this scripture, Naoth at Ramah was a school of prophets that Samuel oversaw. At that time, women could not be trained at the school, but it was where the young men could come and Samuel would oversee them. And there was 24-7 worship, prophecy on instruments, prophecy in dance. There was intercession. They would declare the word. It was a glory zone. Now, I, I recognize that Maybe that terminology, we had a class in RSM last week about terminology and how in the church we will use phrases that don't make sense to an individual who may not have been raised in church. And I realize that a glory zone may be foreign to some of you. But there are these places, these places that my friends in Ireland, Rose and Kevin Sambrook, call thin places. Places where intercession has taken place and worship has taken place for so long and to such an extent, it as if the atmosphere has just thinned between heaven and earth over those locations. No resistance, no spiritual warfare. I've experienced the opposite. I've preached in places where I could have cried and prayed for an hour and it felt like everything I was saying was hitting a brass ceiling and falling back on me. Anybody ever experienced that? A hard atmosphere. But just like there can be a hard atmosphere filled with religion and pride and resistance and whatever you want to name, there can be atmospheres that have been so saturated with intercession and worship and prayer that we might call them an open heaven. 
I was able to visit those places right before quarantine with Pastor Lisa Geiselman, and we were actually able to travel to Ireland. And I cried tears I didn't know I had. I went to places where the Spirit of the Lord was so thick and so strong without words, without preaching. All I could do was weep. And I went to one, and it just so happened to be a place called the Blue Room. And it was at the Bible School of Wales in Wales, England, where a school of prophets had been built by a man named Reese Howes. And if you don't know anything about Reese Howes, I challenge you to read a book on Reese Howes. An intercessor in the 1940s and, and up until the end of his life who prayed 14, 17 hours a day. He built a school with students. He would just take into the glory. There were days they would come in and they would not leave till the middle of the night, caught up in intercession and prayer. Reese Howes loved to pray. And it was from that blue room. He called it his war room. And for 40, 50 plus years, he would intercede for hours from that room. And he was like a modern day prophet Elijah. As his, Elisha, as history bears out, Reese Howes during... Uh, the reign of Adolf Hitler, when Adolf Hitler was trying to take over the nations of the earth, Reese Howes would go into prayer and the Lord would reveal to him the strategies of Adolf Hitler. And Reese Howes had such influence with England that he actually had a relationship with Winston Churchill. And you can read Winston Churchill credited his victory over Adolf Hitler to the prayers of Reese Howes. That's what kind of place that was. And I was allowed two hours in that room. I still feel it in my spirit as I talk about it. I, f- I ate carpet. I laid on my face and I wept. I've never felt such an atmosphere to pray. And it was in that room, if I, as I've told my students, the Lord said to me, Devin, today the coward in you will die. Today the coward in you will die. And your prayers will shake your nation as the prayers of Reese House shook his. A glory zone. A place that doesn't come without a cost. But a place where the enemy does not reign. And does not have a foothold in the atmosphere. Why are you saying this, Pastor Devin? Because this is the text I preached in 2012 at the East Lake campus. And I began to prophesy that the Lord was going to give us a place where his glory could be made manifest just like 1 Samuel 19, a prophetic atmosphere of worship, of the declaration of the word, a, a place where his glory would be saturated and even the enemy would lose his strength in the presence of the Lord. You see, in this story, David was being pursued by Saul. Saul had no fear of the Lord at this moment. In fact, he wanted to kill David because he knew the Lord was with David. And he was trying to kill David, the one who was anointed king. And you're just gonna have to ride this wave with me. David was in such a difficult place. The very oil that had been poured upon his head to anoint him as king was also the same oil that painted a target upon his head for the destruction of his enemies. David was a righteous man who faced many troubles. 
And as Pastor Tobin began this service talking about heaviness and depression, I knew I could not leave this part of the story out because in 1 Samuel 19, we find the anointed, righteous, God-pleasing, God-seeking King David running for his life. Because Psalms 30 tells us that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him from them all. And I don't know, this is not the, the focus of my text. I'm not sure who this is for today, but somebody came in these doors or somebody is watching me online and you are in a season of suffering. You are in a season of great opposition. And you might be in the same place King David was, hurt, confused. He had done nothing but serve the Lord and serve Saul. He was best friends with his son. He had married his daughter. David was faithful and David loved the Lord. And nonetheless, David was running from his life. He had lost family. He had lost friends. He had seemingly lost it all. And it was not for his sin that David was facing suffering. It was for his righteousness. And it was because of the word over his life, which always brings the target of the enemy. Many of us, we face seasons of suffering because of our own choices of sin. And I have this really simple but profound revelation. Jesus suffered on the cross for your sin. And you don't have to suffer for your sin anymore. Suffering over sin is just unrepented, uncrucified flesh that has not been drugged to the cross of Jesus Christ. And I'm here to tell you, if your suffering is because of your sin, there is still hope for you today. You don't have to stay in that season of suffering. You just need to yield your heart to Jesus Christ and take whatever that sin is, that disobedience, that compromise, that behavior, and put it at the cross because Jesus already paid the price for your sin. But some of us today are not suffering because of our sin. It's quite the opposite. Some of us are pursuing a word of the Lord over our life. Our hearts are yielded to him. Some of us are walking in a, a great heavy anointing over our life to do something great from the kingdom. Some of us are as surrendered and humbled before the Lord as David. But you are finding yourself surrounded on all sides. Pressed but not crushed, as Paul would say. Persecuted but not abandoned. Struck down but not destroyed. Look at the Apostle Paul, the anointed Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament that we preach from. He faced a life of trouble. So I just want to dispel the lie of the enemy over the American church and over this church today. Your trouble doesn't mean you did something wrong. Your suffering doesn't mean God is mad at you. Your struggle doesn't mean you're off track. In fact, it means you're on track and many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the good news to you today is the Lord has a plan to deliver you. Isn't that good news? And while I'm on that verse, I'll just go ahead and say it. The second half of that verse says, and he will watch over that none of his bones shall be broken. Most of us read over that 
And we know that that is prophetically fulfilled by Jesus Christ. But there is so much to that verse that is relevant for you today in your suffering. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him from them all so that none of his bones are broken. We find that Jesus was the righteous one who faced trouble on all sides. He faced betrayal. He faced heartache. He faced mental torment. And he faced the pain of the cross, which we remembered today in our communion. He was stretched. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was crushed in mind. He wore a crown of thorns on his head. He took 39 stripes upon his back. He carried his own cross, such a weight, upon his shoulders up to Golgotha. But let me tell you something that did not happen to Jesus. His bones were not broken. Why is that good news to you today? Because there is a limit and a boundary to your suffering. You need to know today that the Lord will never allow you to enter a season of suffering with boundary markers not drawn between you and the enemy. Look at Job. Before Job was ever touched by the enemy, the Lord laid a boundary marker before him and said, you can go this far, but you will not touch his life. And I'm here to tell you, the cross may have looked ugly. It may have looked dark, but the Lord never, never was in danger of his bones being broken because a boundary marker was set for his suffering it's so important that his bones weren't broken his flesh was destroyed Isaiah says we wouldn't have recognized him Isaiah says we couldn't have looked upon him his outer covering was mutilated but his structure within was untouched. There's a reason why the bones of Jesus were not broken. And there's a reason why you and your suffering need to hold on to the same promise that the enemy may touch the outside of your life. He may touch the parts of your life that are viewable. He may, he may touch things in your life that represent an outer covering, but he cannot touch the structure of what is inside of you. Bones represent the structure of the human body. It represents the form that the flesh covers. It's what makes the body stand upright. The bones of the body cover every major organ that you need to survive. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus was mutilated and he was beaten, but his structure was never compromised. And if his body represents the body of Christ, if his body represents the church, then I'm here to prophesy no matter what season of suffering that the world or the enemy tries to send toward the church, we may be crushed, we may be pressed, we may be persecuted, but the structure of the church remains intact. Century after century, year after year, persecution after persecution, the global church is untouched. Its structure is intact. The bones are in place and so are yours. You may be hurting today, but your bones are still intact. Your core is still set. I'm here to tell you, the enemy may stretch you. He may cut you where it hurts, but the enemy cannot break you. He does not have permission. To a Jewish man or woman, 
The bones have a very significant message. The bones are actually the part of the human body that decay last. In fact, they didn't actually believe they decayed at all. And not to be gruesome, but when an individual dies, everything that you see, it returns to dust. But years later, the skeleton remains. It is what remains after death as a sign and reminder of the life that it held. And the Jewish people believed that the bones testified of resurrection. That's why they were so careful how bones were buried. It's why Joseph said, get my bones out of Egypt when you leave. I want to go with you to the promised land. The bones were important even after the individual was gone because the bones were a testimony that resurrection was coming. It's why Ezekiel looked at a valley of dry bones and the Lord said, prophesy. He was saying, I'm about to resurrect my people. These bones are a sign that they're still hope. They're still here. The flesh may be gone, but you're about to prophesy and put the flesh on what remains. And I'm here to tell you, you may be suffering right now, but you carry a testimony of your own resurrection. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but I'm here to tell you, the Lord has a plan to deliver you. And you may feel emaciated. You may feel wasted. You may feel weary. You may feel torn, but you still have breath in your lungs and bones in your body. And I'm here to tell you, your suffering has a season. Weeping only endures for the night, but there's a morning resurrection coming for you. There's a morning resurrection coming for the bride of Christ. Can you receive that today? Suffering is not meant to be enjoyed, but it is commanded to be endured. In the American church, we have really done a disservice to our sons and daughters by altering the gospel of suffering. It's not meant to be something you stand in a prayer line for and get hands laid on your head for. It's not meant to be something you wake up and say, yes, today is my season of suffering. It begins. But Jesus promised us if we were going to reign with him, we would have to suffer with him. And that no servant was greater than their master. They hated him. They would hate us. It's why Paul had such a renewed mindset when he said, you know what? I count it all joy when trials come my way. Because if you today focus on your suffering, you will lose hope. I don't know who I'm prophesying to today. If you focus on your suffering, you will lose hope. How do you survive in a season of suffering? You keep your focus on the glory that is coming at the expiration date of the suffering. That's what Jesus taught us. It says this, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. It goes even further. It says he despised its shame. 
You know what that Greek word despised means? He gave no thought, no attention, no focus to. Yes, we weep as we see our suffering Savior upon the cross. But I'm here to tell you his mind was not on the cat of nine tails. His mind was not on the crown of thorns. His focus was not on the nails in his hand. His focus was way beyond the cross. It was way beyond the tomb. It was to a resurrection day. And it was to a harvest of sons and daughters that he knew he would call his own. I came to lift someone's focus out of the pit of suffering and let you know your suffering is only a doorway to a release of glory. I'm still on the glory zone. You just didn't think it would start this way. Suffering is a prerequisite for glory. Zebedee's wife actually went to Jesus because she wanted to ask Jesus if her sons could have special seats in his kingdom. She said, can you, Lord, please permit my sons to sit on your right and your left hand? Great glory, great promotion. And Jesus' answer to her was, can they drink the cup I'm about to drink? Because for every promotion, there's a cup. You just weren't taught that. For every level of glory, there is a cup. And Jesus said, surely you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized. And did not all of the apostles drink a cup of suffering? Even Peter, who felt unworthy to be crucified as Jesus, and he and his wife were crucified upside down by choice because he despised his own suffering and gave it no thought. In the global church, a message on suffering is understood because it's a part of their daily life. But in America, sermons like this cause people to change the channel and get their pocketbook and leave. But I want his glory. I want to reign with him. I want to see his kingdom come and his will be done. I want to see a fulfillment of every word written in this book. And I'm here to tell you, America has been shaking for over a year now. And America will continue to shake. And I have good news for you. Don't focus on the suffering. It's coming. There's a shaking coming. And I'm smiling while I'm saying it because I'm not here to prophesy to produce fear. I'm here to tell you it is the gateway. It is the doorway to the glory of the Lord being poured out on this nation. And if we don't talk about it, we won't be ready for it. It's time we pray for endurance. And it's time we understand that the measure of glory is not comparable to the measure of suffering. In fact, Second Timothy 2 and 12 says this, hear this, this light affliction will not compare to the future weight of glory. Imagine a scale up here today. I should have got one. A scale like you would measure your flour with in the kitchen. And if you put suffering on one side and glory on the other, 
a little suffering produces great glory. Some of us feel like the suffering is so much greater than the glory. We read the book of Job and we are immersed in what he's lost and we lose sight of the last passage of Job which talks about the blessing and the favor and the double portion he walked in for the rest of his life. The weight of glory that is coming and I am prophesying now will far outweigh any measure of suffering that your little heart is fearing in this moment. I'm here to tell you there is a wave of glory coming to the remnant and the bride of Christ that will make the suffering irrelevant if you will just fix your eyes on him, if you will just look into his eyes of fire. I'm here to tell you you're not going to stay up at night watching the news, popping Prozac, wondering if your children are going to make it. You are going to be so immersed in the glory that what is happening around the church will be irrelevant. I came to encourage you with the message of suffering today. The Lord is not giving up on America. And if he has to shake us from our head to our toes, his glory will cover this nation again from coast to coast. And it's going to start in us. Look at your neighbor and say, glory zone. So in this passage, David is suffering He's in being persecuted, not because he did wrong, but because the anointing was poured upon his head. And this process was necessary. How else do you survive suffering, Pastor Devin? Number one, you change your focus. Don't regard it. Don't put it on the same level as the glory of the Lord coming in your life. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Number two, where you run to is what will determine if you survive. When you are suffering, where do you run? When you are in pain in your heart, in your mind, in your body, where do you run? Answer that within yourself. Because in 1 Samuel 19, this little shepherd boy, David, who grew up an insignificant life, insignificant to his family, on the backside of his sheep field with the glory of God all around him, writing and singing songs unto the Lord with a strength rising within him he wasn't even aware of, probably didn't even recognize it until the day he tore a bear and a lion apart with his bare hands, just soaking in the glory and he defeats Goliath and receives great promotion and finds this little shepherd boy in the house of a king married to a king's daughter. But trouble hits. And David runs to Naoth at Ramah because David ran to the glory of God. There's lots of solutions to suffering, and I'm thankful for many of them. I love ibuprofen when I got a headache, right? When I was in labor, an epidural was awesome. We have many solutions to suffering, but hear me with spiritual ears. There's a suffering that cannot be alleviated 
by natural means. There's a measure of suffering that can occur that cannot be remediated by natural means. And the church has had many coping mechanisms for suffering over the years. But I'm here to tell you there is only one coping mechanism for the suffering that the enemy wants to inflict on the bride of Christ in this hour. And we will not be able to run to our favorite former solution to alleviate what is happening around us. We're going to have to remember this word that David ran to Naoth at Ramah because he knew there was no natural means to rescue him. David did not have his sling at this moment. David did not have his sword. He did not have his brothers. He did not have an army. And David's flight to Naoth is a sign that David was declaring, no one can save me but the Lord. And as David was tucked away and hid in the glory, here comes the enemy to pursue him. God is so funny. I, I know this doesn't happen in a typical Sunday morning service, what we're about to read again, but I think it's quite hilarious. Don't ever put God in a box. Don't ever, especially if you want to tempt him with your pride, don't put God in a box. Because Saul was operating in a great form of pride. He was defying the Lord who had anointed him. And he was willfully going to put his hands on the anointed. And he sent three batches of soldiers. He sent one group. And literally what happened, they walked to get David. And they're saying, we're going to kill him. We're going to kill him. We're going to murder him. And they crossed over into Naoth. And they said, well, bless the Lord. Glory to the Lord. God is good. And their anger dissipated and the glories zone, their slander dissipated in the glory zone, their weapons were not effective in the glory zone, and they began to prophesy as if they were prophets because the atmosphere was so saturated with the glory of God, the enemy had no foothold. Second batch of soldiers come and they say, we got to kill him. We got to kill him. And they cross over to Naoth at Ramah and they begin to prophesy, the Lord is good. His mercy endures forever. Whatever happened, I like to believe they probably holy rolled, fell in the floor. Who knows what God did to them, but he made his glory known to those who were defying him. Three batches of soldiers later, this should be encouragement to someone who has an enemy that is hotly pursuing them in this season. If you will just hide in the glory, you will not have to open your mouth. You will not have to swing your sword. The Lord your God shall defend you. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And it goes on to say, a thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near to you. Here comes King Saul himself in all of his royal garments. The one who the Lord had anointed and had turned his back, the spirit of the Lord had left him. And Saul says, if you're going to get it done, you got to do it yourself. And he marches down to Naoth. And King Saul crosses the threshold. 
and his murderous declarations turned into prophetic declarations. And if it wasn't enough that God made him prophesy in front of all the sons and daughters, King Saul stripped naked and fell in the floor and prophesied till the next day. God is hilarious. God said, King Saul, why don't you just come on down to my glory zone? Why don't you just come on down in your kingly garments? And in one swipe of glory, Saul was humbled to his beginning. Because the glory will strip you to your beginning. It will strip you of pride and anger and hate. It will strip you of malice and selfish ambition. Flesh cannot stand in his glory. And Saul was flat on his face, stripped to his original condition because the glory will uncover the real you. And David was protected. He was a warrior he probably could have saved himself with some arm of the flesh. But there's a place of blessing and a place of glory where your flesh is not required. Just ask Jacob. Jacob leaned on his whole own strength his whole life to walk in blessing and favor until one night he entered a personal glory zone. And the Lord came and wrestled Jacob all night. And Jacob said, bless me, Lord. And God said, okay, and dislocated his hip. Oh, we're really good about praying, bless me, Lord, but we are not always good with the response. Because God said, if I'm going to bless you, Jacob, then no man will receive glory for what I do in your life. And you have walked in deceit, and you have walked in your own strength. But for me to call you Israel, you're going to walk with a limp the rest of your life. That's suffering that opens the door for blessing. And Jacob left that wrestling match with a new name, a new identity. Because of him, the nations of the earth are blessed. But that same Jacob leaned on a staff the rest of his life because his strength was unnecessary for the glory God wanted to release over him. So I came to encourage someone who is suffering today, and I came to tell you that this is, a, this is that moment. So I received this word in the fall of 2012. And in February, look at your neighbor and say February, of 2013, Kevin and I, through a swirl of events, stood in this sanctuary. It was empty. It looked very different than it does right now. And we stood here with a real estate agent. And both of us had wide eyes and nervous hearts. Kevin had just gotten off a plane flight where the little lady on the plane train prophesied to him. And she said, doors are closing and will not reopen. She was talking about the plane train, but Kevin came home and said, we have to go. I don't have two pennies in the church's account to do this, but we're going to go look at the place. And we stood about right here. It's just the stage was different. And we looked over this sanctuary. And I have to confess, the coward in me had not died yet. And I started crying. I said, we can't do this. And Kevin said, Lord, this place is too big. 
And the thundering voice of the Lord responded, this place cannot hold my glory. 2013, February, seven years ago this month. And we knew we had no choice. And terrified as we were, 200 people is all that would gather here on the first Sunday. We purchased this ginormous sanctuary in my grandfather's office in the church he used to pastor across the street. And by March, we had settled on the paperwork. It happened very quickly. By August, renovations were done. And then in September of 2013, we had a dedication service here. And for seven days before that dedication service, it's just, just, I was crazy Devin then, just like I'm crazy Devin now, and a bunch of crazy intercessors with me. We marched around this campus for seven days, just giving this property to the Lord. It was so funny because I would only march around the part we purchased, but there was actually a whole campus that we had not yet acquired. And on that Sunday morning, which was the seventh day, you know me, I got to do this Jericho thing. So I'm like, I'm getting up early because I'm going seven times today. Seven times, you got to do that on the last day, right? Not a sound to the end. You've all done it at some point in your church life. (laughs) And we had invited campus choir to sing that morning, sons and daughters. And so I called and said, hey, will they march with me? And in their little church clothes, we, in September, it's not very cool, we, we marched around this campus. And me, with a hundred plus students, got to the back where this green room was, and we turned and we looked at the Tennessee Temple University campus, which was in decline and closing at that moment. And they had a shofar. And I said, would you blow that shofar over those buildings? And would all of you just stretch your hands with me and declare, because if God gave us this sanctuary and he said we were going to have a school, he's going to give us the rest of those buildings. And I said, I want to pray that the Holy Ghost turns this into a school of prophets. And those kids stretched their hands. I give them A for effort. They just jumped on the crazy train with me. Some had never been here a day in their life. They stretched their hands over that campus. We blew that shofar. We shouted. And then we came in like nothing happened. And I don't even know if I told everybody I did that for quite a while. Little did we know, less than six months later, we would purchase the entire campus including every building of the school. Why am I telling you this? Because there's a reason. This is a reset. This is realignment for 2021. This is the opening of the scroll saying, hey, we need to remember what God said. We need to remember why he gave us this property. We need to remember what is in his heart to do. He said, I will give you a place in the middle of downtown Chattanooga, and I will make it a glory zone, and you will raise up a school of prophets where sons and daughters can operate my glory and change this nation. And I'm here to tell you, we have been in the making of a glory zone. So then, are you bored? Are you with me? We're almost there. So then we had the buildings. We, we, that February of 2014, we decided to just try the school thing out. I had no concept we would actually have a school. 
All I knew was I wanted sons and daughters from all over this nation to just come to a place where the fire of God's glory could just, they could be immersed in it. Like I didn't care if they actually knew theology. I wanted them to learn. I just wanted them to walk into this property and chains fall and oppression leave and the fire of God hit them. I wanted them to be like Saul and his servants, no matter what baggage they brought, that this was a thin place. I went to Brownsville when I was 16, wrecked my life forever. I walked on the property. I was a hard-hearted 16-year-old teenager, and I left weeping like a baby because there was a glory there that transformed my life. I wanted it here. So Kevin had had this wonderful encounter at Abba's house with Dutch Sheets and Damon Thompson, who they didn't know each other at all. They just had this encounter in the altar, and Damon said to Kevin, the Lord told me I'm to be a weapon in your hand. We don't know each other, but when you need me, I'm a weapon in your hand. So here we've acquired this school property, and I said to Kevin, this is it. This is why we need Damon. This is the weapon he's going to be. Call him. I want him to come to Chattanooga. We're going to eat dinner. Damon Thompson never met him a day in our life, said at Jail Alexander's, and through tears I said, hey, this is what the Lord spoke. This is what he did. No, no, no. Damon said, I'm in. I'm in. How are we going to do this? And I said, let's do this gathering. Let's just test it out. Let's invite all college students. Let's have a weekend where we have a conference. Let's call it Forge because Forge is a fire, right? And it melts metal and it shapes weapons and it makes tools. That's what this is. Let's have a conference. Let's call it Forge. I want you to come speak. I want you to lay hands on all of them. We're going to fast and pray and we begin to build structure. But I could not make a glory zone. I could just pray for it. And guess what? In February of 2014, on this very weekend, we had our first Forge School of Prophets gathering. We prayed that 40 kids would show up and 400 did. And a glory bomb hit the place in such a crazy way that by Saturday night, my son Isaiah, who was like 10 or 11 at the time, he ran to me and he said, Mom, I see Brother Kelly. Now, you all may not know Brother Kelly, but he was the pastor emeritus of this house. He, he stood by the foundation of this vision. And Isaiah said, Mom, he is up in the air and he is looking down and he's just nodding. And I knew in that moment something big is happening and the Lord is letting Bishop Kelly witness fulfillment. And a glory bomb hit. I'm not sure what happened. All I know is by Sunday morning, we could barely have service. And after service, we are looking at the aftermath of what human mind cannot wrap around. And Kevin says, we are coming back tonight. And we had a Super Bowl party planned. And Damon had places to be. But through tears, Damon said, I'm going to clear my schedule my daughter had like a gymnastics meet. I said, we're not going, Zion. She said, I don't want to go. She had tasted. And Kevin came to me in his office and he said, I can't believe I just did that. Nobody's going to come. And then he went to prayer and he came back and he said, Devin, I said to the Lord, no one's going to come. And the Lord said, well, I'll be there. And that Super Bowl Sunday night, 2014, we met right here. And over a 1,000 people came. I'm not recreating moments. This is an anniversary. So you're just going to have to bear with me for this story because I have more to say. 
and the rest is history. We're not really sure what happened on that Super Bowl Sunday night. All I know is for 90 straight days, the glory of the Lord was poured out in this sanctuary in such a way. We never knew who was preaching when we got here. We didn't have a song list. We were hoping we had altar workers, but I carried my little first, second, and third grade babies to the car speaking in tongues at 1 a.m. We were peeling people out of the back, officers, police officers, slaves. In the green room, there were people getting healed of cancer, blind eyes getting open, deaf ears getting open. We were getting reports from T.C. Thompson of kids healed of incurable diseases. It was like a glory bomb. And the Lord said, well, I just gave you your glory zone. But I'm reminding this church this is why we are here. This is why we stand on a property we should have never been able to purchase on our own. This is why the favor of God crowns this house and your family. It's because the Lord has a specific goal in mind over this property, and it is to pour his glory out without measure and make it a place that the nations can run to and receive the fire of God. And this is a place for sons and daughters the cultures after them. Look at 1 Samuel 19. Who was the enemy pursuing but the next generation? The enemy is after our children. And even if you don't have children, you should care about who's going to take the torch of the kingdom for the next generation. And I'm here to tell you, God is really serious about it. And the glory will not even compare to what the world has to offer. They just haven't tasted. Why is the culture deceiving a generation of sons and daughters because the church has denied them of the glory. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Give me a 16-year-old. Let me put them face first in the fire of God, and you'll never be able to rip them out of his grip. It happened to me, and it's going to happen in this house. They are coming from the north, the south, the east, and the west. They will gather in this temple, and the glory of the Lord will fall, and sons and daughters will be raised up to change this nation and shift the nations of the earth. This is an incubator of fire. And you say, Pastor Devin, where does that leave me? I'm not a son or daughter. You're a Samuel. You're a mother and a father. You're a general in the faith. You're an intercessor and your days aren't done. You're here to impart. You're here to oversee. You're here to cover. You're here to be a Hebrew midwife that sits at the birthing stool and tells Pharaoh, you won't have the seed of the church. This is generational synergy in the glory. This is a reset day because it's an anniversary of a transformation that took place over our lives and over this house. And buddy, there has been suffering to follow, but it has not compared one ounce to the glory we've has experienced. And I will release this and we will be done.
today, I declare what the Lord spoke to me as I wrestled over telling a story today versus preaching a sermon. My job is to call us into alignment with the word of the Lord. And some of you live that story. Some of you just joined us and you have no clue what moment we're standing in. But it's February of 2021 and it's seven years later, which is a number of completion. And I'm here to tell you the Lord spoke to me yesterday and he said, Devin, you have been in a season of incubation and a season of building, but I declare in this February of 2021, you will move to a season of fulfillment. We will see the fruit of what has been growing underground. And I prophesy what the Lord destined to do over this property, we're about to see it happen at an accelerated pace over every square inch and we have already been feeling the rumblings of a new measure of glory and I'm going to tell you what he told me in prayer this morning he said Devin you haven't seen anything yet I am about to do what eye has not seen and ear has not heard it's not even entered into your heart I'm telling you this is going to be a thin place where the angels of the Lord ascend and descend and we're in a season of suffering the church will find and covering I declare it and I decree it so and I don't know what's about to shake down in this nation all I know is our assignment is to be a glory zone and when the church is hurting and when the pastors are suffering and when the sons and daughters are broken they're going to run through these doors just like David ran to Naoth and the Lord is going to strengthen them and refresh them and cover them from their enemies it will be a refuge because his glory is a refuge oh father seal your word so I declare it. In fact, I just release it like a tidal wave over this house. I declare today is a shift and there's a finishing anointing, a finishing anointing come over, coming over redemption to the nation's church. We've been in a building anointing and I declare it shifting to a finishing anointing. I declare it over this house and every family attached to this house. I declare it over your life. I declare words that have been in motion are about to be completed. I speak a finishing work over you and that person I was prophesying to because of your suffering I declare God's about to finish what he started he's about to finish what he started and there's an expiration date to the sifting of the enemy and today is a birthing day in the spirit how is this going to get birthed pastor Devin well the word of the Lord is like a seed and we women understand that the womb is a developer of seed. And I'm here to tell you God speaks, but intercession births it. Why did we start this year with prayer? I wasn't quite sure. I was just obeying the Lord, but I get it now. We are in a birthing season. That's why we're going to keep praying in the month of February. God's word doesn't come to pass while you twiddle your thumbs. As his God-given children with the authority of the kingdom, we are partners with his word. And it's time to take what he said and push it through the birth canal of fulfillment through prayer. Why are we fasting? Because we are seeing a season of fulfillment. As we pray, 
the heavens will open. As we petition the Lord, the atmosphere will thin. If you're not an intercessor, you're about to be. Because this church will not have a small group of men and women with an intercessor badge that carry the load of what God wants to do at this church. This will be a house of prayer. We are all commissioned to pray. And as we pray and as we seek his face, his word begins to bear fruit and spring up in the earth in fulfillment this will be a year of fulfillment because it will be a year of prayer and I'm gonna just read tell you something I'm gonna go ahead and do it as we close be ready I'm almost done I was studying with this little magic notebook it's science it's nothing special. There are no pockets to it. I picked this up at the beginning of the year and wrote my first lesson for Reset 2021 School of Prayer in this notebook. I didn't ask sign, I just took it. And on my second lesson, I opened this notebook to my notes and there were $180 in the notebook. I told this story and some of you left thinking I was crazy and that's fine, I've already reaped a harvest off of it. Several of you have already emailed me, what happened to you? I opened it up and the Lord said it's seed and $180, degree, $180 is a 180 degree turnaround. And I, I invited some of you to participate. It was great, it was crazy. I, I don't carry cash, I didn't put it in there. Think what you want, it was like new dollar bills. Last night, I was sitting at my table with this same notebook that trust me, I went through every page <clears throat> because I just wanted to make sure there wasn't more money. <laughs> and I keep it in the same place in our house. And I opened it to my notes after I had already written them. And there was money. I took off running to Kevin's office. I said, are you playing a joke on me? <laughs> Did you put money in this notebook? I went to all my family that was present. And Kevin said, oh, I just heard the Lord say it's seed. What's crazy is it's two $5 bills, so don't get super excited. It was like 180 last time. It was just 10 this time. But every seed matters, amen? I want to read something to you, if I can find it. It was $10 in the form of two fives. Here it is. And I said, Lord... I'm gonna take this to church tomorrow and I'm gonna sew it. I don't know if I'm gonna tell anybody because they already think I'm crazy, but I'm, you know, it's beyond that. I can't really redeem my reputation to y'all anymore. <laughs> but why? What is this? And the Lord said, it's two fives. And five is the number of grace. And like an explosion in my spirit, I heard the Holy Ghost shout, grace, grace. And I went immediately to my word and I released this prophetic word today as I sow this $10. Zechariah 4, seven through nine. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was in the middle of rebuilding the temple. Bones. Not by might, nor by power, 
power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? I'm not sure who's suffering today or who's been facing opposition because I know Kevin and I have had our own share. But this is what I am declaring today as we cross over into a season of fulfillment. Who are you, great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone, which is the finishing block on the building. Finishing anointing. I had already written it in my notes before I found these two $5 bills. He shall bring the finishing stone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Zerubbabel, verse number seven, with grace, grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple and his hands shall also finish it. Stand with me all over this place. A foundation has been laid, but it's about to be finished I read this and tell this story today because I don't want anybody to miss what God is about to do. I almost saved this for Sunday night, but the whole church needed to hear this. Today I sow these two $5 bills and I declare a shift from a foundation to a capstone is being brought forth over this campus. And the mountains that have stood in the way and the opposition of the enemy, their pursuit of suffering over this vision, I shout grace, grace. Oh, who are you, great mountain? The word of the Lord will make you a plain before us. And I prophesy this over you, hands lifted, that this same anointing will hit your house. What hits this house hits your house. And I look at the mountain standing in front of your family, in front of your business, in front of your calling, in front of the word of the Lord over your life, and I shout grace, grace. I sow a seed called grace, grace. It will not by our might. It will not be by our power, but it will be by his spirit, says the Lord. And what he started in you, he is well able to finish, 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 finish. I declare it over you now. It will be finished. He will finish it. He will finish it. You almost gave up. You almost threw in the towel. You almost lost your focus in the suffering. But today the spirit of the Lord is leveling that mountain and he is saying, I'm finishing it. I'm finishing it. I am bringing the capstone on this vision and I'm going to finish where I started. Hands lifted. God, we yield. We yield. We yield to your word. So Father, we seal it like this. Everyone who's willing to receive it, we receive a finishing anointing. We have faith today. We grab hold of faith today 
that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly and above all that I can ask or think. And we thank you that we are entering a season of fulfillment and a season of accelerated fulfillment and that the mountains that have been before us are being leveled now even as we speak, that our suffering has an expiration date and that we are entering a season of fulfillment. And Lord, we pray right now, we welcome it. Lord, whatever it looks like, whatever it sounds like, whatever it seems to mess up, alter, change, or realign, we surrender to the glory zone you are creating over this property. Father, we give you our gatherings. We give you our, our property, our chairs, our buildings, our rooms, our equipment. We give you our departments. We give you our staff. We lay it all before you, Lord. And today we are reminded you have a target in mind for this campus. And Lord, we welcome your glory. We welcome your glory in this place. Your glory cannot be held in this building, so we send it all the way to Athens. We send it all the way to Bulgaria. We send it all the way to Uruguay and to every campus you would open. To every campus you would open. I hear you, Lord. You said that this building cannot hold your glory. So, Father, we send it forth in each direction that you would have it go. We declare this glory will restore your people. This glory will revive your bride. And this glory will set sons and daughters on fire. In Jesus' name, pray it with me. Friend, I believe God is speaking to hearts right now. This message, I pray, has stirred you. And there are some who are watching this message who are waiting on the opportunity to give their heart to Jesus Christ. Listen, the greatest day in your life is the day that you give your heart to Jesus Christ and allow him to become the Lord of your life. And if you want that opportunity, then right now I wanna pray with you. You know, the Bible says in the book of Acts that God commands men and women everywhere to repent, to turn from their sin, to turn to the living God. And the message of hope today for you is that no matter how messed up you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how far away from God you feel, he is only one prayer away. Would you turn your heart toward him right now? Just say, dear God, save me, forgive me, cleanse me of my sin and make me new. I, I confess you as my Lord and Savior, Jesus, and I'm asking you to be the king of my heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, friend, if you prayed that prayer, let us know today. We want to make sure you have a Bible. We want to make sure you know that as a local church here in Chattanooga, Tennessee, someone is praying for you. We hope to see you soon if you're in the Chattanooga area. And if not, get in a Bible-believing church somewhere and grow in your purpose in Christ. We love you. We're praying for you today. God bless you.